And good morning, you're with Janine Preston of SA Commuter. I have Andre Vierdepol, historian, and Robert Forsyth, uh, chairman and founder of Mr. Hills. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Good to have you. I have historians in the studio. It's like we're having Elvis in the building. Well, history is very important. Tell me a little bit about the journey that you guys are taking together in terms of the Anglo-Boer War and trying to do a, a, a trail, as you call it. What do you call it? Um, well, it's, it's what we are developing is, we call it the Michalis, the Michalisburg Battlefields Tourism Route. Um, you know, what many people are not aware of is that during the Anglo-Boer War, which is, is often referred to these days as the South African War, many battles were fought in and around the, the Michalisburg. And uh, we've, we've looked, and you know, some battles were fought in KwaZulu-Natal, and there were various people who did a fantastic job of developing battlefield tourism there. But we actually have far more potential to do the, the same thing in the Michalisburg region, um, to get people interested in history, which I have found has really enriched my life, particularly the, the personal stories about the men who fought in these battles. And, and to use that then as a way of, of bringing uh, economic development, job creation, uh, by developing battlefield tourism based on these Michalisburg battlefields. So that's what our Michalisburg Battlefields Tourism Group project is, is really all about. And, and Robert, I've noticed in, in the Misty Hills environment, there's a lot of artifacts, which, especially in the Carnival Restaurant, which indicates sort of the war era. Is that something that you've been interested in for a long time? Uh, yeah, this is a, an area where lots of interesting people have passed through. I mean, I think Livingston camped right on the shores of the river here. Oh, really? On his way further north. Um, and of course, King Nzilakazi came through here and established his kingdom here for a while and uh, played havoc with the locals. In fact, a lot of the Tswana tribes could be thought of as Ndebele now, because he, he, uh, he left his people here and, and, and stole some. Um, so all of this history passed through here. Then, of course, the Fortrek has arrived and there was competition for the land. And all the battles fought right here in the Mkhalisburg. So it's interesting that we have the opportunity to tell these stories and, and revive the tourism in the area, of course historic towns as well, like Kurgersdorf, burial grounds of the soldiers and the concentration Sounds more like a ghost camps. tour than yeah. a history tour. Well, that's, that's you. It's funny that you should say that. <laughs> a, a, a lot of people are, are very interested in the, um, the sort of paranormal when it comes to things like battlefield tours, stories about ghosts. Um, and uh, yeah, it's really, it's, it's a fascinating area. Uh, there is, as, as Robert has said, there are so many layers to the history. I mean, it and goes, where does this know, tourism route start? Does it start here? Does it start in Pretoria? Whereabouts do you see this beginning? We'd like to think it starts here at Misty Hills. I also like to oh, think yeah. so. <laughs> and, and we're well placed for that, both for going um, uh, west and east and north. Uh, right around us are a number of battles within easy reach. Um, and with a lot of historians now that can tell the story and, and explain what happened and uh, incredible men uh, that found their way. Uh, for instance, Winston Churchill 
we think there should be a, maybe a bicycle race named after him because he rode a bicycle from Krugersdorf to the East Rand to give news. Did he to, really? Yeah, to give news to uh, um, General Roberts. Roberts. Yeah, Lord Roberts. Um, so, you know, such interesting history took place. Many VCs won in the area. And we're not making use of, of any of that information. No, because a lot of those historians are going to die soon, or, or within that, because they're elderly, um, having fought those battles all those years ago. That makes them kind of 80, 90 years old. Well, so those stories die with them. No, they're dead, all of them. Are they dead already? Is it the 80? 120 anniversaries okay. gone past. But, um, you know, the, the thing is, you're right, a lot of the historians that have studied it are old, and we need to pass on the information and we need to establish the facts and, and help rectify some of the wrongs. Uh, for instance, many black people took part in the Anglo-Boer War, the South African War, and this has been hidden. And, and it was never recognized. Never recognized and they weren't given official burials. The British this week made an apology for not uh, affording them the, the proper rights of burial. Um, I don't know if you know that. No, um, uh, that was British I'm just Prime thinking, Minister. wow. And not only did they do that in the South African War, they failed in the First World War, and then they failed again in the Second World War. So it's been a, a trilogy of failures. But they did the same in Kenya as well. Oh, I yeah. did a story on um, Kenya and the, and the war there, and they also had a few apologies to, to make in Kenya, so I see the British are apologizing all over the world. Uh, I think uh, there's, yeah, I mean, just the outrage of the concentration camps in South Africa. Um, many people have forgotten what happened, the, the tragedies that took place. In fact, more blacks died in the concentration camps than whites. Right. But the story's not told, and I think things need to be rectified so that um, one can push forward with our history. And people well, I know now that we're doing the the sort of um, the, the domestic tourism is coming back in a big way because we're struggling to get international tourism going again, which I believe will only be around about 2023, somewhere around there. Um, now that we're looking closer to home and inviting people to come and do things they've never done before, mm. I think this is an awesome time to launch that route that will start at Misty Hills because you have to stay somewhere amazing. Oh, yeah. And Good our place. stay here has been fabulous. Thank oh, you. Mm, um, so we've, we've, I, I think if we start at Misty Hills, where do we go from here? Where's our next stop on well, this tour? There are a couple of battles that are literally within half an hour of the Misty Hills Hotel. Um, one of them was the, it was called the Battle of Kalkirbal Pass. It was fought right where the Linen Safari Park is today on the road to Bruneskrug. And there were something like 4,000 British cavalry uh, marching in a column and ambushed by about 600 Boers. Uh, this was beginning of June 1900, so Jeez. shortly after Churchill's bicycle ride across Johannesburg when, when uh, the British had occupied Johannesburg. And, and very few people know about that, that battle. And it, it's quite a dramatic story, you know, as when you picture in your mind's eye this column of cavalry moving down what was then just a narrow dirt track and then suddenly just at sunset all hell breaks loose and they get attacked by the Boers there at Kalkiable. And one of the nice things about that of course is people can go there for the battle and then they can also go to the Lion and Safari Park. And, and but what do you see? If, if I understand there was a battle but yeah. when I arrive in this area what is there to see? Yeah that's a good question. Um, and 
most of the time, all you really see is the topography. So there are hills to the left of the road and the right of the road. And, and you use your imagination this for This is rest. where you need, you, you don't just need a guide, you need a storyteller to, to really bring that a battle alive for people. You know, and explain that hill there is where the Scots Grays were sent up. And the Boers were over on that ridge and that ridge and the Canadians were here. Because again, it, it, there was a lot of international involvement in that British cavalry column, Australians, Canadians, etc. So what you see is, is really just the topography. Wow. Um, you, you need someone who will really will be able to tell the story and point out the... Because the landscapes change. If you think of where the landscape was 120 years ago, even the hills, because of the animals and the, the animal migrations, they start to change the yeah, way the hills particularly are. Particularly the vegetation. Um, the, the experts tell us that the countryside was much more open, open 120 sure. years ago. There's been a lot of bush encroachment. So you need to explain that to people. The, the, the other battle which was close to here was uh, the Battle of Dwasla, which is just next door to, to Morapeng. Uh, there's a, a little restaurant there called the Brew House and Diner, which is right in the That's middle of right, the battle. Yeah. And it, in, in a way, it's a similar kind of battle to Kolkiebel. You had a British column, 1,300 soldiers coming from Kruisdorp going to Hickwood, and they were ambushed there at the ridge that runs across the road by about 160 Boers. Wow. And in fact, two Victoria Crosses were won at that battle, which is, is something really special. I can't imagine um, any more scary than being Very, very scary. Very scary, and and it was a, as was quite often the case in the the Anglo-Boer War, it was a case of the British being determined to save their guns, because guns being cannons, um, it was a terrible disgrace to lose your guns to the enemy, and there was a, a fiery Boer general by the name of Sarl Westhazen, who had a, a big red bushy beard and red hair and a personality personality to match. So they called him the, the Roy Bull of Krugersdorp. <laughs> and he was determined to capture the two British cannons in that column. And, and he very nearly did. And was in fact mortally wounded at the end of the day in trying to do that. But the Victoria Crosses were awarded to uh, British officers, in fact from the, the Gordon Highlanders, the Scottish regiment, who were trying to save the guns. So again, it's, it's, it's a dramatic battle. and, and um, it's, it's nice in a sense that the topography is straightforward. So you can say the Boers were up there on that ridge and you see these two low copies in the valley. That's where the Gordon Highlanders were and the guns were there between them. But once again, we, 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 we need to be training storytellers to really bring the battles To be able to give you that imagination yeah. that you can't tell on a cell phone. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> and one of Britain's great generals, Lord Trenchard, was shot through the lung there mm. and oh went way. on to have the most incredible uh, CV and military career after having his lung cut out, probably, probably in Krugersdorf. <laughs> so, I was so. going to say, yeah. And, and where does the, the, the tour end? In other words, where does the, the well, route end well, or it, does it, it end back here? Is it a circle? Yeah, it's really a network of routes. Uh, one of the things we really want people to do is start at Misty Hills and then go to the other hotel in the group, which is Kedar Heritage Lodge, north of Rustenburg. And, and the nice thing is, you can cover a couple of battlefields on the way there, and then come back north of the Mahalisburg and, and do a couple more. And um, Kedar Heritage Lodge, the, the entire hotel is themed around the, 
And the is it a hiking world. trail or is it a driving trail? This is trail? a driving trail. They are, they are oh, hiking. What a disappointment. <laughs> they, they, they are. They make people walk. <laughs> they, they are hiking trails as well. I, I do guided hikes for the, the mountain club and for the Johannesburg Hiking Club. We call them heritage hikes where we will go and walk a battlefield for the whole day. So is but, there, but is there plans to have a, an almost a bus that takes people from here? that has a storyteller on the bus that takes them off the bus, explains the next section, takes them off for lunch. Um, Before the pandemic, we did that. We, we actually ran really? several bus tours. Yeah, and um, we hope that that will restart. And, yeah. I was going to say, that would be amazing. Some of that. Um, and then, you know, uh, the Gunners Association taking a busload of their gunners wow, yeah, that would on be one of these things. So people do it by themselves as well. They put their group Are together. you able to look at, I've noticed that there's a trend towards getting an FM station that will allow you to tune into that FM station that takes you just on that route. So in other words, as you reach certain sections, it then says to you, okay, you are now at this point, perhaps a podcast series. It says when you reach this point here is the GPS setting. When you get there, get out of your car take your phone with you and listen to the story. That's an excellent idea. I, I know that um, Peter Delmar did something like that for the, the N4, running from Pretoria out to Rustenburg. But I'm, and it, it was available as an app. I'm not sure if it's still out there. Um, but, uh, in, you know, in today's world, with, with all the new technology and the new ways of doing things, I mean, that really is a is Because a with audio, idea. one doesn't um, need a TV crew to create the ambience, because that loses the ambience. Yeah. Whereas if you've got a storyteller in your ear and, and in your pocket, yes. and you're listening to it and you can see it, and it says on your right-hand side facing that way, you will see a mountain. Imagine the guys, and, and you maybe have some sound in the background that's a, a series of volleys of shots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that sounds like a battle ensuing because when we went to um, Zimbabwe, we went uh, where Cecil John Rhodes was and Matari, mm. they had something very similar. There were a couple of speakers that sort of played the volley of gunfire and the, and the, and the Shauna coming down. Well, the problem is that um, this concept is relatively new to, to Gauteng and the Northwest. So it's great to grow from this yes, point. Yes, ab absolutely. But to persuade the government that the sites need to be marked. We need to put up blue signs and that we need a little summary of the battle to be there. And, you know, we're trying to work on that. And we've, That's we've amazing worked. that you guys have put in this effort so, to make something work by yourselves and, uh, without uh, uh, government funding is, yeah. is fabulous. A lot of the sites are on private property, property. as well. So we've got to pers persuade the property owner to, to let us, you know, put something near the road or whatever. And allow all these volleys as they were to come tramping onto your property. Yeah, well that, that could be as well. The, <laughs> the, but, you know, this is history that's crucial that uh, had incredible people involved and history makers. And, uh, no, no, listen, I we, completely we, agree, especially we, when we were talking about the paranormal. We, I mean, you could do this at night and say, right, there's a night tour that takes place. And you sure, stop here and sure. there, and you have the sounds on your on your podcast. You know, my wife doesn't like me to say, but uh, we actually took picture of a ghost. We have that. Have you got that? I've got it. that picture. Yeah. I published it in my magazine a few years ago. Somebody mm. sent it to me, and I'm trying to remember who. But there you were with a ghost behind you. It wasn't it me. Was, it was a guy. It, that's right. And it was a tree. I remember there was a tree in there. No, I'm, 
So, interesting stuff. But people do come and they want to see and they want to go there. But, so. I have to see that picture again. I know we published it. I've got to go through all my magazines and find it because we did a story on that. Well, when you go to Kida, then you'll get the manager to show it to you. Oh, is it up there? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, well, that I mean, is... If you would like, they will take you there at midnight and you can possibly have an encounter but with a ghost. There is yourself. a guy called Mark who does the Mystery Ghost Bus oh, yes, Mark I'm is fabulous, a historian Mark. like yourselves, yeah. loves to tell the story and the history. And he gets, he's got this big cloak and he has this cloak with this big hat. And he tells the story in a way that you get involved with the story and you're standing at the grave with your ghost. He's got a ghost app that you load and you can see if there are ghosts around. And I mean, it could be complete hogwash, but you're in the moment. <laughs> well, I, I, I've been to Hampton, I think it's Hampton Court, and thousands of people gather in a passage to see this ghost that holds his head under his arm. Really? Yeah, every day. Did you see it? No, I couldn't get near. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> but you, you got your own ghost right at home. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, it is a worldwide thing. People have an interest in the paranormal. Um, and I think what you guys are doing is so good for domestic tourism. Because we forgot in all our trips overseas mm. that actually a lot of our tourism is right here. It's a drive from your home. You don't have to sit yeah, in Tolgate. Sure. You don't have to stand at the airport. You are already here. You drive a few kilometers and you're in a different environment altogether. And you can mm. start your tour from here. You're safe on the roads because you know the road. But yeah. pulling off the road suddenly gives you a completely different vision of that road that you probably drove on, like we ride motorbikes. We probably mm. drove that road without looking at that mountain and seeing those red coats. Yeah. Without yeah. seeing the Boers hiding behind the bushes. Uh, by the way, by the time the Boer War came around, the Second Boer War, there were no red coats. Oh, really? They what were wearing you? khaki. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they'd learned something from the from First the... War. Because <laughs> <laughs> they used to stand out like a sore yeah, thumb. With a, with a white cross on the front, you know. Just like, let's just shoot point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, the, the Boers got clever. They then, they burnt the felt. So the felt was nice and black, and these British soldiers oh, in their really? khaki stood out like, you know, stuck out like a sore thumb. So, so they, they were uh, always ahead of the game. They were the always ahead of the game, those words. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, uh, they adapted constantly as, as the war progressed uh, to find ways to continue to drag the, the war out. It, it was extremely frustrating for the, the British commanders. They sort of complained that the Boers were not playing by the rules. Oh my they were supposed to take cricket. a stand and, uh, and fight. You know, um, Churchill said that uh, the Boer uh, soldiers were the greatest cavalry since Genghis Khan. I can imagine. And, you know, the, the, the world hadn't seen anything quite like that. Yeah. Mean, the, well, what, one of the things that the Boers learned to do is to ride their horses at a gallop. And, and fire their rifles while they were moving at that speed with accuracy. And there were a couple of battles where, in fact, again, one of them is close to Mechanisburg, the little town of Derby. There was something called the Battle of Flockfontein, where General Jan Kim set the felt on fire, smoke screen, and then hundreds of Boers just came charging through that smoke at a full gallop on their horses, firing from the saddle. And the British had just never seen anything like it. You know? Where did they bury all these British, or did they ship them back to the UK? Buried them here. Yeah, initially the British soldiers were buried on the battlefields where they fell, but then in the early 1960s, the Commonwealth War Graves Commission took a decision to consolidate the graves. But where so, is these uh, graves? I Berg, don't even Burgess know. Cemetery in Krugersdorf is, is a big one. 
uh, lots of uh, British soldiers buried there. And then there's a little cemetery in the heart of Beersport area called um, the Redfontaine West Cemetery. Um, it's a bit out of the way, but again, if you have a guide, it's a five minute walk from the road. 129 British soldiers buried there from half a dozen different battles. And are they marked or are they unmarked graves? Well, they were marked, but there's a stealing of metal. So people are stealing the crosses and uh, it's a great pity there. Because that uh, that's our history. It's a huge problem. It's and in, in fact, one of the things we are trying to persuade government to do is, is provide money to secure these cemeteries properly, like Burgess Hook and Krugersdorf. Um, you know, just, just to Is that part the, of the route to go past that cemetery? Very much so. And we, we really like to think of it as, as a network of routes. So the Misty Hills is a starting point. You could start on, on the other end at Kido Heritage Lodge. And then there are several different options, um, you know, several different ways of, of doing the route. And the whole idea is just to, to create route infrastructure, you know, as Robert was saying, to have blue plaques at the battlefields with information boards, uh, to have a little information center with panels and maps and that kind of thing, and, and create that infrastructure that then the, the tour guides and the tour operators uh, the adventure tourism people who do the more strenuous hikes and those kind of things as well can start to develop uh, that sort of local tourism and stop the along the way and explain what's happening here. Yeah. And of yeah. course, the area is full of uh, great little pubs, little breweries. They are like the great breweries. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, and uh, this supports all of these people and you know, keeps a lot of people in business. And is there a, a sort of a move towards all of those people that have now gone out after breakfast in the morning, gone on along this route, to come back and share what they've seen? Perhaps have one of you doing a, a, a talk on, on the area that they've seen? Is there a move towards doing something like that? Well, there the, are many different options, and that's, that is definitely one of the ways in which it Because I couldn't be imagine anything you know? nicer than going out on the route, seeing all these places, and then coming back and sharing yeah. maybe a story of a grandfather or a story of a letter that I had or yes. something with others yes. that are and in it, the room. It, it is interesting how that sort of thing comes out. Because then um, you have somebody to show, because it's been sitting in your yeah. drawer for him no, as I, I, um, I went along as a, a guest speaker recently with, with a tour guide who did a, a battlefields tour around the Mahalisburg. And one of the ladies on the tour said, you know, I've got this old medal at home that belonged to my great-grandfather. I, I, and she, she found it. And it was what is called the Ankla Boer Oorlog Medal, which was the medi oh, medal that was given to the Boers who, who fought. And in fact, was only given to them in the early 1920s. Because uh, the story was that General Jan Smuts went to the Versailles Peace Conference and um, saw all these British soldiers wearing all their medals, and, and the Boers had nothing. And he said, This is not right. We need a medal to honor the, the Boers who fought in the Anglo Boer War. And so they, they, they started applying and they were awarded these, these medals. And, and she had no idea what the significance of those was medals of that were. old medal. Because if you look at like the Kimberley Hall has yeah. got that museum around with all the artifacts. I, um, I know that a lot of that was preserved and, and shown, but it has no, um, it's very hard to place them in a place of use. So in other words, mm. if there was something like that around here that we could go to and say, this is from the Boer War, this, is, this was a rifle that they used, yes, this was a, a, a picture of the gun, 
we don't. Do we have anything like well, that well, in this area? Kido Heritage Lodge is. I mean, Roberts is one of the the world's largest private collections of, of World War artifacts. So it's everything from rifles. So your your background. I mean, your your the yeah. the, the, the uh, your interest goes back quite far. Well, it was really stimulated when the government said to me, uh, why don't you buy Kruger's home? We can't take care of it anymore. So I bought uh, his farm and home, and uh, I've been fixing oh, so it up. Oh, so that's where it started. Is that's that Kido? Um, yes. mm. So Kido's actually Paul Kruger's home. Yeah, Absolutely. Was, uh, the farm was called Buchenhoek-Fontaine. And, and that really, I mean, he had the house in Pretoria when he was president, but that far, that was his actual home. That's where so he, that he was really his lived. home? Okay, yeah. I didn't know and that. We've been busy putting all the relevant stuff back. We're, we're busy with the concentration camps now. We're busy with women in the war. We're busy with children in the war. I mean, I don't know if people in South Africa don't know. I think the youngest child that was sent to a prisoner of war camp was seven years old. And, uh, it was because we saw horrific. them at, um, we saw the monument at Bethesda. Um, oh. Out near um, the dam, Kharib Dam. Oh, Batuli. Uh, uh, Batuli, yes. that's right, Batuli. Yes. Um, and we saw the, the monument and it had the names and the ages alongside well, well, them. Well, the, the, this was a, believe it or not, a seven year old who was sent as a prisoner of war to Bermuda. Uh, and, wow. and he was not the only child. There, I think, were dozens of boys. To Bermuda? Yeah. Under the and, age of 10. And he was people sent don't all know the way they to were Bermuda. Why Bermuda? Bermuda well, it, it, it was psychological warfare. The, the, the British empire saying to the Boers, we are so big and powerful and our empire is so huge, we will capture you and we will send you literally halfway across the world. So they send them to Bermuda, Goodness to me. India, to Ceylon, uh, St. Helena. And interestingly enough, yeah. has, has, has anyone in their families tried to find them? Have they come back? Does well, anybody uh, know? Yeah, people have been on tours. A lot of them are dead and died in those countries. Of course, you had to sign allegiance to the King of England to come back to South Africa. Yeah. Really? Many of them yeah. did that. They signed the oath of allegiance to King Edward VII. Have we got they copies of those, of those allegiances? Yes. and you'll find that stuff at Kida. That is amazing. So we've got our own museum <laughs> in the form of a hotel. Yeah, and you find even uh, the newspapers that were written in the prison of war camps, uh, both the Boer war camps and the British war camps. Uh, prisoner of war camps. Most people don't realize that they, the, they were Brits put into yes. war. Yeah, of course, of Churchill's the most famous occupant of the prisoner of war camp in Pretoria. And where is that based? Uh, that the old. Uh, well, there was in, in uh, there was a prisoner of war camp for British officers at what was called the Staatsmodell School, uh, quite close to the centre of Pretoria, and then the Boers had another big. Uh, prison of war camp at Waterfall, uh, north of Pretoria. Oh dear. Uh, so, yeah, um, the, the the British were also um, kept as prisoners of war in in large numbers. Um, and in fact, one one of the areas at Kido Heritage Lodge is called the Prisoner of War Lounge, and it has hundreds of artifacts from both Boer and British prisoners on display. Um, you can imagine being stuck in a prison of war camp, some of them literally for two and a half years. They had absolutely nothing to do. They, they, they made things. They made things out of wood and bone and beautiful, you know, little miniature shoes. And, uh, well, one of the stories that came out of Batoon sort of was, in fact, there was a family there who owned the local hotel. 
and they created tortoiseshell combs oh, out of the tortoises because okay. it had a huge tortoise population. And these British created, they killed all these tortoises and made these tortoiseshell combs, which they sent overseas, sure. and annihilated the entire tortoise population. Mm. And only now is the tortoise population starting to regrow after they had been destroyed by these tortoiseshell manufacturers. They must have been good eating as well. <laughs> <laughs> I would assume they would have been. But it's only now that they've started growing back. And we heard that story from the owner of the hotel in um, Batuli. Mm. Mm. It was quite an interesting... So he was... A, and he gave us a book on the, hist on the history that, of the um, area. Anthony Hockey? I can't remember. It was a while ago. Yeah, I know there is a wonderful hotel in Batuli that is just... Steeped in the, then the that's history. probably there is it only one be, hotel yeah. because it's not the, the biggest town. Mm. I think it only has one hotel, one bother store, one supermarket. That's it. There is nothing else, and then of course it's got the museum, um, not the museum, the statue that commemorates mm. the the concentration yeah, it was camp. It's a there. big, big concentration there. Of course, Krugerstorp had a, had a huge concentration camp, and and there was a white camp and there was a black camp, um, and. Uh, you know, it's it was a terrible aspect of the the Angabur War, the um, just the, the the terrible loss of life uh, in in those camps. And of course, uh, uh, going along with that was the so-called scorched earth policy. Uh, you know, where it got to the point where the Boers were fighting guerrilla warfare, uh, what they called fechten in vluchten. In other words, you fight when it suits you, and then you flee and you hide away, and then you come, you re-emerge to fight again when when the, it will be to your advantage. Um, the British started to burn all of the farms, destroy all the crops and the livestock, burn all the farmhouses. So virtually all of the farmhouses in the Mahalisberg region were, were, were destroyed during that phase of the war. Here's an interesting question. What was the point of the war? Well, that's a very good question. And, it, it was gold. <laughs> yeah, that's the short answer. It was gold. Um, uh, this uh, Johannesburg at the time was... One of the richest cities in the world um, had huge potential, and uh, the British couldn't bear the thought that uh, they didn't own it, and that it was a few Boer farmers that were in charge. Really? Yeah. So um, the, I mean, Rhodes, uh, great entrepreneur, uh, a great uh, industrialist. Uh, he already had some Chinese on a ship. He wanted to bring them out to mine. And Kruger was saying, no Chinese. We're not having any Chinese. And uh, these people were determined to, to push ahead. So they had the disastrous Jameson raid, as you remember. There were a few reasons came down. I thought they'd take on the, the Boer army. Oh, my words. And uh, they ended up getting a death sentence, some of the officers including a future Premier of the Cape, Jameson. And then um, they had to buy their release. So uh, Britain, you know, was uh, they just like holding on to India. They were pretty determined this is where their money came from, opportunity and whatever. So it, it took a while for them to be persuaded. That, uh, and uh, what? Ten years later, South Africa was having elections, was it? Well, yeah, self-government, the Union of South Africa, 1910, and now you had prominent Boer generals like Louis Boerter and Jan Smuts running the country. So, so the, that question is, what was the war really all about, is, is, is a very 
It's a question they're still trying to answer. Because it, it was so unnecessary. So very unnecessary. And, and, and another question, um, who won it? Well, obviously, really from In a, other mili words, from not a not military a point of view, the British, but, but the, you often hear the saying, the British won the war, but the Boers won the peace. Because 10 years later, they were once again running the country, and in fact, they were running the whole of South Africa. The British uh, or the Boers? The, the, the Boers, the Boers, once the unions of South Africa came into being. Um, but, uh, you know, there, was, there, were, there were arrogant and impatient men driving the process. Um, so Alfred Milner, this was one of the main culprits, the, the British High Commission in South Africa. Uh, he was not prepared to wait for progressive elements within the Boer republics to, to bring about change. Um, so he forced Paul Kruger into a corner and, and Kruger made the mistake of actually declaring war on the British, which gave them the, the, the excuse that they, they needed they wanted, to yeah. invade the Boer republics. There um, was a genuine stupidity. The, the Boers should have fought a guerrilla war right from the beginning. It should have never been a, a standing army fighting a standing army because the British had endless amounts supplies, of troops yeah. they could yeah. bring. I mean, uh, a guerrilla war would have been like America and Vietnam. Unwinnable for the Americans, and they would have been unwinnable for the British. So, you know, we fought a bit like gentlemen, and that shouldn't have happened. Uh, we should have uh, just taken them out and moved. I mean, the British would have not, not known what was going on. But uh, it was a war that cost the British so much money that I think one can say they lost because they couldn't afford it. And then they were finding themselves arming for Germany after the war, preparing for the First World War. So it's, uh... When was the war fought? Okay, well, it broke out on the 11th of October, 1899, and it finally ended on the 31st of May, 1902. So two a and a half war. years, a long... A lot of lives war. lost. Tremendous loss, loss of life. Um, funnily enough, the, the total number of British soldiers who died was about 25,000, but only about a third of those were in combat. Uh, the rest died of disease. Uh, really? Uh, typhoid was one of the biggest killers. Uh, British soldiers drinking contaminated water and that sort of thing. Um, but again, the, by far, the, the, most of the lives that were lost were civilian lives uh, from the, the concentration camps itself. Those were mainly uh, women, know, and children. women and women children, children, old people, mm. and uh, and the biggest number was black. My goodness! And uh, a lot of men, black men, they put their families in the concentration camps to force them to work on the mines because they want to get that gold out. Yeah, it, so. it, uh, recent research has shown worldwide um, gold is a bad thing. Yeah, that, that's the 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 black concentration camps. The the British were actually using them as forced labour camps. Uh, as, as Robert says, Slavery. to to compel, because the white camps were terrible, but at least the, the white civilians were given food and tents. In the black camps, they were given nothing. They, they had to earn money to buy food. And so hence the, the black men who were essentially forced Humans to, are terrible. to go and, uh, and work in the mines. And Humans stuff. just have such a, mm. such a need to destroy, especially yeah. other humans. But look, we, we do try also to focus on the positive aspects, which is when you look at the individuals who fought on both sides, how in, in these, this extreme situation, um, a lot of these men 
rose to the challenge. They were but survivors, I also think you know? war is, is terrible. War is a terrible thing. Yeah. In, in whichever the loss of life, the, and usually it's the ones who started are not the ones on the front line. They're the guys Very who don't so. even know we what what the what mm. the the mm. situation is like in the front. They have no that's, idea. That's if you look at the trenches in the First World War, the generals weren't in those trenches going over and being shot. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting how you now have a route which is a, a tourism route, but it helps people to understand where they came from. So if you look at your yeah. past you actually have a very good idea of your future because you can learn from your mm. mistakes. You can learn from the, from the wins, if you like, mm. um, the things mm. that you did win in the past and why not focus on those? Yeah, and as I say, just to see how, you know, both, both Wurz and Brits, uh, when, even when placed in these extreme situations, they, they, they made it, they got through they it. They got through it. Um, and they, they actually, the, the men who were actually fighting came to respect each other um, so you you read some remarkable stories um, one of the most famous books written in the world War was Denise Rates's book Commander and he was involved at the Battle of Neutkodak which again is not far from here in the Nepalisburg and he tells about how he shot a British soldier through the thigh and then walked past him and the soldier was busy dressing his own wound with the uh, the bandages they all carried and he starts chatting to the Nasrats and showing him pictures. See, here's my wife. These are my children. And they have a bit of a chat. And the one has just five minutes before was shot the other one. But there, there was a respect there. Um, even though they were, were enemies, they, my goodness. they respected each other as, as brave, as, um, competence, yeah, you know, on, on both sides of this conflict. So what's the way forward? Before we close, what is the, what, where do you see this route? How do you see it marketed? Who do you see being on it? Hmm. Well, we hope that we can create enough interest that uh, um, historians will take it up and start working on it. That the government will see that there's an opportunity here and invest in it. And uh, that not only local tourism, but international tourism, that we can encourage the Canadians and Australians and New Zealanders and all the people. Come and share the story. Because they all took part. It was the first war for the Australians and the New Zealanders, and uh, to them it's a big event. Probably the first international war for the Canadians too. Good heavens. So, you know, the, we would like to see them all coming and reliving uh, their past and, uh, and uh, seeing, you know, what happened and how we got where we are and how we can adapt it for the future. That's awesome. And, and your book? Tell us just in closing, tell well, me a little bit about your book. We, we're involved in several projects. The, the, the book you're referring to is something that was funded by the National Lotteries Commission. It's a, um, a guidebook to museums and monuments of the Western Nepalisberg region. Um, and the, the whole idea is just to be giving people specific information about sites of interest they can go and visit, uh, we've included uh, details of, of various places they can stay while they're doing that. Um, but I'm also involved in writing uh, booklets on specific battles. So, for example, the Battle of Neutgedacht, uh, the Battles of Silkartsnek, uh, west of Hodebjersburg Dam. And there, there are other people doing similar kind of things. And where can they uh, get hold of you? Ah, okay. Good question. <laughs> the, the, the best, I think, is just to send me an email. Uh, Andre Beautiful at gmail.com. And the spelling of that it, is? Yes. <laughs> Good question. A N D R E W E D E 
P-O-H-L at gmail.com. And do you have a website? Um, well, what we have recently done, again with some funding from the Lotto, is, is launched our Macaulay Arts Facebook page. Nice. That, that's a very good way to keep in touch with what we're doing. So if you just, it, the, the company has a long name. Uh, it's Macaulay Arts and Heritage Development Company, NPC. But if you just search on Facebook for Mohali Arts, M-O-G-A-L-E, Arts, uh, you will find our Facebook page. And, and, and I'll obviously tag it on the, will, will we'll go. tag it as well on our post yes. of having met you. And Robert, how about you? Well, you know, I think we, we really need to get people to understand how unique this event was. I mean, it's always surprising us. We discovered that there was a black general and king in the Western Transvaal who uh, took his people to war and was never beaten by the Boers. He won every battle. Really? Reported, yeah. And his story has been hidden. It wasn't in British interest to tell it. It wasn't in <laughs> the Boer interest to tell it. And all the promises that the British made him, they reneged on. Oh my goodness. At the end of the war. So, I mean, isn't his story worth telling? And, I absolutely um, think it is. So we think all of these... Uh, There's a story up in the carnival as well that tells the story of a, a woman general. Oh, yeah, a queen. Ah, Montatisi. Yes, yes. yes. so I read her story yes. last night as well. Yeah, yeah, these people all came up here. Yeah, this was a fascinating time. Um, you know, the, and you've got to separate the legend there. They said that the people used to say she, she fed her men her own breast milk, you know, I mean, this is obviously nonsense. <laughs> they said she was a very ugly woman, but Moffat said she was beautiful. So, you know, one's got to dig through the, Absolutely. The, all the of nonsense, this nonsense uh... and find out what the story is. But she was also a great leader. So we've got our own Bodicea yeah, in South sure. Africa. Wow. And we should tell the story of all of these people in here. And they can obviously reach you at Mr. Hills. Absolutely. Um, and Mr. Hills is available on uh, on a website. It's also on Facebook. Absolutely. It's pretty much, uh, it's Raleigh Hotels, isn't it? It's raleigh.co.za. If you say so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Mr. Hills does find us there. And of course, Kida. And Kida, I think, is, is something we need to visit and, and certainly put and, and have a look at the history that's there. Especially, I didn't know it was Paul Kruger's house. Oh, it's unbelievable. It, it was so that's big, obviously it, a big secret. It was a big farm. His farm was about two and a half thousand hectares. Um, uh, Kira is part of that at this stage, but there are these four absolutely amazing restored Kruger farmhouses. Each one of them from a different period in the history of the old transport product, different architectural style. Uh, of course, the grandest is the, the house that Paul Kruger built for himself in 1873 when he was a, a wealthy man um, and uh, but 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 all four houses just just fascinating just to see yeah the, the, the different and styles to, to think that he never had a working toilet he had to go outside really even, even as in president his <laughs> yeah. and that his bath was a tin tub <laughs> and the maid had to pour the water over him I mean, interesting times. Very. And and, 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 and tell me, is Kido a little bit ahead of that? In other words, if we stay there, or we, do we get a tin tub uh, no, and we go to the bathroom it's outside? Palatial. <laughs> That's so sad. Kido I knew I was going to relive the whole thing. Mm, very, very, very comfortable. <laughs> we'll give you a night in the museum if you like.
my favorite frightening. <laughs> <laughs> it's been such a pleasure to talk to you and I hope we can we can visit one of the sites together with you and do another interview um, just talking through the, 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 the actual route mm. because I think that, that in itself great. you both yeah. are very um, knowledgeable historians and obviously not by professorism, by prof what do you call it, by profession, but by choice. Yeah, um, it's, it, when the history bug bites you, it bites you back. Oh my it, goodness. It, it, it bit me about 10 years ago and uh, it just sucks <laughs> you in. It, it's just fascinating to learn about all these things that, that, that happen. No, thank you so much. Um, it's really Andre Vierdepol and uh, Robert Forster, uh, Forsart, <laughs> Forsart uh, of Misty Hills. It's been, a, it's been a real pleasure and thank you so much for spending time with me. Thank you for coming. Thank you very much. This interview was brought to you by Janine Preston of SA Commuter.